Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Worship team, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your ministry today. Thank all of you. Appreciate that very much. Well, we are talking this month about the fire. Our series is called Through the Fire, and today I want to share a message that I've titled Answered by Fire, and we, we started our, our weeks by talking about and just making a, a reference to some of the, the fires that are well known um, here, um, not necessarily in, in the U.S., but just that we, we know of historically. And there was a famous fire that took place on October, uh, the night of October 8th, 1871, and we've talked about it. Uh, you know, I've alluded to it even as we, we talked about other fires. But this particular fire started in a barn that was belonged, by, belonged to Patrick and Catherine O'Leary. The theory is that uh, the O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern and started uh, the, the, the barn on fire. And if you've ever been in a barn... Um, an old barn, you understand that, that everything is pretty flammable in there. And it was known as the Great Chicago Fire. <clears throat> um, I didn't take the time, I should have, um, to do some calculations, but the cost, the damage of, of this fire was uh, rated to be at $200 million in 1871. So I'm, I'm sort of wondering what that would really translate to today if we, if we uh, asked Google to tell us what that would be. Um, th- that fire was particularly um, significant because of, of where it was. Um, we know that on the same night, uh, the Peshtigo fire took place, and they're in very different places. So the, the, the renown or the fame of those fires is very different. Um, 300 people were killed um, in the Chicago fire during that several-day period. Uh, it burned a, a stretch of Chicago that was four miles wide and a mile long, and uh, really, again, the dry weather uh, that had happened that summer um, and fall were really contributing factors. Plus, everything uh, in, in the buildings that were constructed at that time, everything was flammable. So you would, you would have a, a wood structure covered in wood shingles, and those shingles would be coated with a tar substance that was also incredibly flammable. Outside the building, you would have sidewalks that would be constructed of wood um, to, get, to get people off, off the, the dirt of the streets, the mud of the streets. And sometimes even the streets themselves were, were done in wood. And so you had this, this perfect storm where all of these flammable materials, and then you have a fire that is starting, you have homes that are closely packed together, and this is something that, that even though there were already at that time um, fire brigades, they could not control uh, this particular blaze. And as a result, 17,000 structures were destroyed, and 100,000 people found themselves homeless as a result of this. You know, I was thinking as I was getting ready this morning, how often disasters are accompanied by fire. 
the fire may cause the disaster or maybe the fire is really a secondary um, effect of the disaster, but fire and disaster have often gone together. And I want us to look at two instances in Scripture where fire was very significant. They both happen to be in the Old Testament, fairly closely related in time. And the first one I want to simply call fire from heaven. Now let me give you a little bit of backstory if I can, because I think it's significant for us. And King Ahab is the king of Israel at this time. And King Ahab has led the people of Israel into the worship of a, of a Canaanite god called Baal. Um, that's the way I've always heard it pronounced. Maybe you pronounce it Baal, um, but Baal, B-A-A-L. And, and this Canaanite god is a Phoenician god of fertility, and he would be symbolized by either a ram or a bull and, um, and was well-known, and Elijah um, was, he kind of got sick and tired, you know? Now, um, as, a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a person who emulates Jesus, you know, I, I don't, sorry about this, but um, I, maybe it was the way I was raised, but man, I, you know, I think Christians should be nice, and Elijah doesn't fall in this category, <laughs> As I'm, as I'm going over my notes this morning and just preparing, you know, to be here today, I just, I, just over, it, it overtook me. Elijah is snarky, okay? He is snarky, and he issues a challenge to Ahab. Ahab has led the people of Israel away from God, and he issues a challenge, and he said, listen, let's, let's have a, a something happen here where, where we are going to have a bit of a showdown. Let's assemble the people of Israel. Now, I'm sure that not everybody in Israel assembled, but I'm sure there were a significant number of people. He said, let's get them all together. Let's bring them together, and let's... let's have a showdown, and let's, let's have an a, 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 a opportunity here to really determine who the nation is going to serve moving forward. So the stakes were very high. So they decided that they would, they would gather together on a certain day and, you know, they're going to cut up meat, they're going to set it on the wood, and the, and, and the, the, the just of the, the, the contest or the showdown is this, whoever's God shows up with fire is going to win. That's going to determine who really is God. And so let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And here the prophet says this, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, Elijah, he... Is, he is there on behalf of God all alone. In fact, we, we remember that later, um, Elijah cried out to the Lord and said, God, I'm the only prophet left. Ahab and Jezebel have killed all the other prophets. I'm alone. And so on this day, it, it probably felt very much like he was alone. And on the other side, there were 450 prophets of Baal. And I love the fact that Elijah was very polite. And he said to them, you guys go first. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they start shouting. 
first service this morning. There was a lot of shouting going on in first service this morning. It was, I tell you what, there was people that were excited. And, and I, I, I like to be excited. These guys were shouting. They were working up some excitement. I was listening to a podcast this week, and I heard a former player talking about how before uh, NFL football games, players play loud music in the locker room because sometimes their ability isn't enough, and they're worried about how they're going to do and they need something to work up their excitement, hoping that it's the excitement that's going to carry them through the day. Well, these guys are shouting. They are making noise, and they are, are dancing. They are really going all out here. And here's where I see the snarkiness of the prophet come out. Because he says to them, hey, you guys, maybe you need to shout a little bit louder. He's mocking them. He's mocking them. And then he says, maybe your God is sleeping. He's, he is really pouring it on. And he keeps going. He's, maybe your God is deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. In fact, maybe he's on vacation. He's traveling. He's not there to, to hear what you guys are even doing. Well, of course, that made it even worse for the 450 prophets of Baal, so they had to up their game. And so the scripture says that they actually took knives and spears and they began to mutilate themselves. They are trying to get the attention of their God. And there's no response. There's no answer. And now it's Elijah's turn. And I love what it says that Elijah did first. He said he gathered all the people together. He gathered the people together and they rebuilt the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord had been torn down. Either just out of neglect, it fell apart, or maybe it had been vandalized. But the, the, the altar of the Lord had been torn down. And so Elijah says, okay, let's get the rocks and let's build the altar of the Lord once more. Remember, Elijah said, Whoever, whoever's God answers by fire, then that's the Lord. And that's the, the, the God that we're going to worship as a nation. And so Elijah was doing something, I think, here very intentionally. He was getting ready to set up the worship of Jehovah once again. So they stack the, the, uh, the rocks, and then I imagine he says, listen, get the wood, and I want you to, I want you to put wood on the altar, and let's get, get a lot of wood and put it. And then they began to cut up the sacrifice, the bull that was going to be sacrificed, and they laid it out, and they got it all set. And then Elijah said something that I don't think anyone expected him to say. Dig a trench around it. So they got out, I'm sure, their makeshift picks and shovels and hoes, and they began to dig a trench, not knowing why they needed a, a trench. And then the prophet said, I want you to get me four large containers of water, and I want you to dump it over the top of the sacrifice. Friday night, we had a time of being at a bonfire with some friends, and we were 
just had, had got there and we were starting the, the fire and, and we had cardboard. You know, you use cardboard. That's, a great, that's the great recycling thing right there is cardboard. How do you recycle your cardboard? You have a bonfire. So we were trying to light this cardboard and I can't tell you how many matches we went through. This cardboard, I think, had been in the garage and it's been humid and it was just slightly, it wasn't, it wasn't wet, it was just, hum- there was humidity in the air making it sort of damp. We couldn't light paper. And, and, and Elijah says, I, I want you to pour these four containers of water. Remember, if, if there's not heat, if there's not oxygen, if there's not uh, fuel, you can't have a fire. Well, he was literally taking all the fuel and he was making it unusable for fire because heat can't get into it when it's wet. And then he does something else that I'm sure they didn't expect. He said, do it again. I want you to pour those four containers full again over the top of it. And at this point, they probably thought that has to be enough. And he said, no, I want you to do it again. And everything was completely saturated. And the trench around the altar was filled with water. This thing is as wet as you can make it. And then we find in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 36, here's what he said. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you are God. Not, be, not so that they would just know about Elijah. So that these people will know that you are Lord and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifices, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Imagine how those 450 prophets of Baal felt. The jig is up, baby. I'm sure that those, those 450 prophets of Baal, they were very sincere. You don't cut yourself without being sincere. They were, they were man, they were sincere. They meant what they were doing. They believed what they were doing. But you know something? You can be completely sincere and absolutely wrong all at the same time. People will talk to you and they will talk to you about their faith and they are sincere in what they believe. But it is what they believe. It is what they have concocted. It is what they have put together. And they're absolutely sincere, but you can be sincere and be wrong simultaneously because the Bible says there is one true God. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to know something, that what you believe or who you believe in is actually greater than the fact that you believe or the act of believing. We want to believe in our society here today that it's, it's my believing that's the most important thing. 
That's why I can tell you what I believe, even if it's different than what you believe, because the important thing is just that I believe. But I want you to understand something. God does not need you to believe in him for him to be real. He doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need us to believe in him. He's already real regardless of what you or I may believe. And believing something doesn't make it right. Paul says this in Romans 10, 9. He said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That statement is true, not because you declare it, not because you confess it, not because you believe it. It's true because the one that you are declaring, confessing, and believing in is true. 1 Kings 18, verse 21, the first part of it, he said, it says, Elisha went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two positions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. That word waver, I love that word waver. I'll bring it up again. It literally means in the Hebrew, limping back and forth between two opinions. He's speaking to Israel. They are, they are, they're, I just imagine them dragging a leg behind them as they check out this thing, as they check out that, that opinion. Maybe, maybe the gods of the Canaanites are real. Maybe Jehovah is real. And he says, you got to quit wavering. You got to quit limping back and forth between these opinions. I love how Joshua said it in Joshua 24, 15. He said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No more room for compromise. You say, but how could they know that God was who he says he was? The answer is in the fire. 1 Kings 18, 39, when all the people saw this, what? They saw the fire consume the meat, the fire consume the wood, the fire consume the rocks, the fire consume the dirt, the fire consume the water in the trench around it. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When God shows up, he leaves no doubt. Let's look at the second thing in scripture that we see. The chariots of fire. Dun, da, da, dun, dun, dun. Dun, da, does that, did anybody think of that, that melody as I said Chariots of Fire? Has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. Nothing. It's about a poem. They got the title of, the, of that movie as a result of a poem. Here all this time, I've been thinking that it was a scriptural, you know, thing. no, it's not. The guy happened to be a Christian that the movie is about, but that's not what we're talking about. Elisha, I want you to get this. Elisha was no stranger to chariots of fire. No stranger. 
this was not the first time that we're going to look at because you see earlier in his life, when Elisha was the servant of Elijah, don't you think God should have made those names a little more different? Have you ever noticed that? That people, that people, you don't know for sure who they're talking. You don't know if they know who they're talking about. Is it Elisha or Elijah? And now people are splitting the difference. They're saying Elijah. I think it's just so they can talk about either one and you can't say they're wrong. Okay? It, it literally, it's, it's like they don't really know who they're speaking about. But Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And Elijah, the Bible says, God said, I'm going to take you to be with me. And Elisha followed Elijah because he was promised a double portion as long as he was there when God took him. And guess what the mode of transportation was for Elijah? It was horses and chariots of fire. Elisha already knew that it was possible. He already understood now, in Elisha's life, the Arameans are a, an enemy of Israel. And what's happening is the king of Aram, he is telling his troops, I want you to go set ambushes against the Israelites, and I want you to kill them that way. And every time they would go out to set an ambush, the Israelite army would strangely go around where they had set the ambush. And they started to get ticked off about it. And pretty soon it happened so much that the king of Aram said to his, his men, he said, listen, you guys, we've got a mole in our military. Because every time we set an ambush, they go around. And his troops said, listen, king, it's not us. But the God of the Israelites tells Elisha everything you say in your bedroom. Elisha would tell the king of Israel, don't go there, go around because of the ambush. And they avoided that ambush every time. The king of Aram was so mad, he said, listen, I want to take this guy out. Tell me where he is. They found him in a, a community called Dothan that was not very far away. And the king sent a troop of about anywhere from 80 to 250 to surround that little community during the night. And in the morning, Elisha's servant does what everybody would do when you don't have indoor plumbing. You go outside the first thing in the morning. Can you imagine? He goes outside first thing in the morning to do what you've got to do first thing in the morning. And he sees the military force that has surrounded the city. And he comes back inside and he admits immediately that he is afraid. He said, we are surrounded. What do we do? Look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the, the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Friends, God opened the servant's eyes into the spirit realm. You say, why would he do that? It's so that he could see the reality of the situation. 
2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is what the reality is, and my question for you is, do you know what the reality is for your circumstance? You're not in Dothan. You're not Elisha. Do you know what reali- the reality is for your situation? Do you understand that if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm sure that we've all heard the name Billy Graham. Billy Graham wrote a a book called Angels. In fact, I think it was actually Angels, Angels, Angels was the, the actual name of the book. And in that book, he talked about a missionary, John Payton, Peyton was a missionary to the South Pacific, the New Hebrides Island. And one evening, natives from the village surrounded their compound and were extremely hostile and said they were going to kill the missionary, his wife, and everyone who was in the compound with them. They were going to burn the compound to the ground. Of course... The missionary and his wife prayed that God would protect them. And at some point during the night, the natives left and returned home. About a year later, the chief of that village was saved. And he was actually visiting the missionary's compound. And the missionary said to the chief, you remember a year ago when you guys surrounded our our, our compound and you were threatening to burn it down and kill us? Why didn't you follow through on it? And the chief said, we were afraid. Why were you afraid? Because of the giant army dressed in shining clothes and swords drawn that were surrounding the compound. Friends, our physical eyes don't always see God's forces. But I want you to understand the full picture. Because in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If we only see with our physical eyes, we can and will be afraid. But I want you to know something. When we look into God's word, what happens? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can enlighten us, open our eyes so that we can see the truth of the reality, so that we can understand greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when we see the truth of that reality, something happens. And when our eyes get open, our fears get eliminated. Oh, that was good. When our eyes get open, our fears get eliminated. How confident would you be if you knew that the fire of God was on your side? Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He means combat. He means fight. He means warfare. Like the one who was the servant of Elisha who saw the army 
we can become afraid. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Friends, God provides weapons for the victory. I'm going to invite the team to come on up. We're going to close here in just a moment with a song that we sang earlier. But it's time. It's time. It's time for us to stop wavering from one limping, from one opinion to the other. It's time for us to say, if God is the Lord, then we'll worship him. You know, the night of that fire, when it began October 8th in 1871, that was the message that rang out in a church there in Chicago pastored by D.L. Moody. And he challenged his congregation to decide, do you want to serve the Lord? In fact, he wanted them to think about it. So he sent them home that night to think about it for a week. There's accounts that tell us that as the service was wrapping up, as the music was dying down, they actually could hear the fire brigades, the bells on the, on the, the wagons that were coming with the water to fight that fire. And of those people that were there that night in Moody's church, some did not make it through the fire. Some of them died in that Chicago fire. And it really wrecked D.L. Moody. Friends, I, I believe that God is sending out a call. If the Lord is God, then let's serve him. If, if Baal is really God, then let's serve him. And God is willing to answer by fire in order for us to come to the realization that he is God. But it's time for a showdown in our lives. It's time to rebuild the altar of God in our lives. It's time to invite God to show up in our circumstances, no matter how difficult, especially in light of how difficult they are. Invite him, invite him to show up. I'm reminded of the movie, Remember the Titans. When the coach said, leave no doubt. I believe that God wants to leave no doubt in your mind. It's time to decide what you believe. It's time to see with eyes that have been opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time because the deliverance of God is near. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. The team is going to lead us in the song called Another in the Fire. And I'm just going to, I'm going to open this altar up. And if, if in your life there is something where you need God to show up, I want you to come. And just stretch across the front here. And I'm, uh, while they're singing, I'm going to come by and I'll anoint you with oil. We're not going to put a microphone in your face or anything like that. We're not going to point you out. 
This is just a moment between you and the Lord. And I pray that as you come, that God will begin to show up in your circumstance. How confident Elisha must have been because he'd already seen the fire. He already knew that it existed. And I believe that God wants to show up in fire in your life and bring that answer that you need. As they play, I just want to invite you to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I speak the victory, Lord, over each of these. Father, we bind the spirit of fear. Your word says that you have not given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that power that lives in us, that's the power that raised Christ from the dead, your word says. And so, Father, I pray, answer in power, answer in fire. Leave no doubt, I pray. Father, I pray for those circumstances, for those situations, Father, that you would be the Lord over those situations and that we would be able to say, the Lord is God and I worship him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I thank you for what you are doing right now. Even though our eyes may not see it, when we read your word, our, our hearts and our minds, our eyes are open to the truth that if God is for us, who can be against us? We thank you, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray.